Mindfulness Mode 296. And my father stepped out in front of me and he put his hand up and said, stop, you have to go back. I went, what? I was zipping along and he said, you have to go back. You have to find purpose. And then he smiled. And I got slammed back into my body on the operating table, full of pain. I grabbed the doctor and said, what the blank did you bring me back for? Welcome, listeners, to the Mindfulness Mode podcast. I'm Bruce Langford, your host and mindfulness life coach. It's exciting to have you with us. I hope you'll share the episode, tell your friends about it, tell your colleagues about the show. And if you hit subscribe, that helps too. That makes a big difference from my end. Oh, and if you have a comment, please leave it on the website, mindfulnessmode.com. Today... I have a creative guest who's just such an interesting personality. She's an artist and so much more. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode with my friend Paula Brown. Hey, Mindful Tribe, we're going to have a lot of fun today because I'm here with a very funny, very interesting, and very insightful lady named Paula Brown. Paula, are you in mindfulness mode today? I sure am. Thank you, Bruce. Of course you are. Yeah, it's so great to be here with you. Paula Brown is an artist and an animal healer. She possesses a profound ability to communicate with animals as a telepathic communicator. She's worked extensively as an international award-winning branding expert as well. And she is a practitioner of black hat feng shui, which is the type of feng shui most common in North America. We'll be talking about this. Paula is also accomplished in Qigong, Hawaiian shamanism, flower essence, and dowsing methodologies. She's the author of the book Fur Shui, An Introduction to Animal Feng Shui. And it's a fun book. I've got it right here. As you can see, I've got all sorts of papers in here marking different pages that I thought, I got to talk to Paula about this and about that. But let's talk about mindfulness to get started. Let's get on the same page. What does mindfulness mean to you, Paula? Mindfulness is very important in my life. And mindfulness to me is just about being very aware of connections, super aware of connections and aware of the words you use, um, aware of the faces that you make, the visual prompts, and also aware of all the invisibles that you can't see because it's the invisibles that connect us all. And it's the invisibles that connect our hearts together. And it's very purposeful. So mindfulness means to me, everything is connected and everything's connected by its energetic and spoken and visual purpose. Well, thank you for that. And let's talk about those invisibles. So how do I know they're there? How do I experience them? (laughs) Let's talk about that. That's the big question. (laughs) Yes, I know. And I want to dig right in. Because, you know, I feel a lot of things. You know, I I feel things for my pets. I walk into a room with people and I think, oh, why does it feel so strange here? Those, I would say, are invisibles. Would you agree? Yes, yes. It's The invisibles are really felt by your heart. And for me, the heart is your masterpiece of your story and your purpose. And the, and the masterpiece and the story, it's the center of everything out there. And part of my quest is to express those invisibles 
in a meaningful way for people. And I guess the first thing that you need to be aware of is what's your emotional response. And in feng shui, it's your emotional response as you enter a room, an environment, or up against another person or by a person. Mm -hmm. Trust your intuition. Your intuition is part of those invisibles. And whatever you feel will trigger the vibrational point of what you're in access of and what you're connecting to. And it's up to every individual to make the effort to connect to the positives. Mm. And when you feel that something is, is not quite right, you need to listen to that because that's part of the invisibles. Um, the invisibles know what they're doing. They're, they're everything from the angelic realm to feng shui vibrations, to how stones talk to each other in feng shui, to how trees talk to a woodpecker that's in its, in its limbs, how trees and everything talk to people. And invisibles are hard to show, so that's why I came up with um, how animals expressed it through feng shui. And so people can watch their animals race about the room and get into either good or not so great energy zones. It's, it's, it's listening to what's out there with your heart. So my, my whole thing is to feel with your head and listen with your heart. And what's your first memory, Paula, of communicating with an animal? Kind of having that feeling like, oh, I'm really tuned in. I'm sure we're going way back in childhood here. Yeah. Yeah, I've been able to do this all my life. And I had a really wonderful Irish grandmother in a farm, dairy farm outside of Seattle. And I used to go into the barn when I was a very, very young child, four or five years old. And she would be holding her hands on a cow. And I would be hearing all these voices in the barn and I'd say, oh, uh, Mary, um, that one over there has an upset stomach. And she'd go over and she'd touch the midsection of the cow and she would say, oh, you can hear them too. And I said, yeah, I hear them loud and clear. And so my mom being a very protective person said that these were just imaginary friends. And so I grew up thinking that all these voices I heard behind me were in my mind, in my imagination. Then I found out that they weren't, that I was actually communicating with nature. So I've been doing it all my life. And when I connected up with my animal communications training official so I could get my white paper, um, the, the person in charge who's very famous said, Paula, have you learned anything from this? <laughs> because they were <laughs> learning from me. And I went, hey, doesn't everybody hear this stuff? You know, I just thought it was completely natural. And so my mom never knew what to do with me. And so I went into advertising and I could hear what people needed and I could go right to it with their brand and get that emotional essence because that's what's really talking. It's talking from heart to heart. And that's what I found out. I was a telepath. So I could communicate heart to heart and leave the head behind. And does it matter where the person is in the world? Can they be on the other side of the earth? Yes. Yes. I Most of my animal clients and a lot of my um, sketch quest clients are not near me at all. And the animals, I just asked for a color photograph because within the density of printing out that photo, the natives were right. You are stealing a bit of their energy. And mm. so I just put my hands on it and I get a snatch of energy and then open up my heart and create a link. And just start talking. 
Interesting. Yeah. How many pets do you have, Paula? Do you have pets in your life? Yes, I have two cats and uh, they keep me busy. One's I'm name sure. is Makana, means gift in Hawaiian, and the other is Rumi because he's a swirling red tiger dervish. So. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it interesting how they establish their space and they play and they, they have a job to do. They each have a yes. job to do. Tell us about that. Each thing, item, stone, animal has its its job. And I was reading an animal for a stables that was just about ready to be sold because it was rubbing off of its its um, its person, its young girl rider. And it had a mission and it meant to do it. And its mission was to help handicapped kids. It oh. didn't want anything to do with arena riding, nothing. And so it was so frustrated. And the woman that had the horse decided, oh, my gosh, she started crying. And she says, there's a there's a handicapped kid down the street in a wheelchair. We're going to put him on the horse. And the horse became a healer for handicap. So that's how intense it is. They walk away from their people if they can't do their mission. Um, There's so much to ask you about. And. So many of these, like I read the book and it's like, wow, I, I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed. And I thought, I was surprised because I thought, okay, this is a thin book and I'll just whip through this. And, but there's a lot to it, especially yes. if it's new to you, you know. And mindfulness is not new to me, but feng shui is fairly new to me. And yes. so many of the concepts you're talking about. So, um, okay, the, the first shui elemental chart Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that, the elemental aspects of feng shui. Can you just fill us in here? Yes. In feng shui, black hat feng shui, there's uh, main elements that show up in one of these life spaces. There's five elements and there's nine life spaces. And so when you have an animal going to the fire element, there's an element of fire which is in the far aspect of your home, there's an element of water, which is right in the entranceway. Now, just use fire water as an example. If you put too much water in the fire element area, then you'll douse the fire. And then for all the rest of the elements, the same thing, the opposites affect each other. And when an animal has a natural recharge zone in the fire, they're all fire chi carriers. And so they go into that fire zone and they store up energy and then they give that back to their people. If you have an overactive animal, you use a black collar or a black leash because black is the color of the career zone and the color of water. And you can damp down that energy a little bit by walking it with a black collar and a black leash. If you want to activate some fire in your animals, you give them the red leash and a red collar. And so there's color there's elements all associated with um, these elements and they all have different personalities. There's gold for earth and that is, you know, stand your ground. There's metal, which is silver, which is creativity in children. And there's also wood, which is family tree, you know, the family tree, things like that. And so if you're going to introduce an animal, you take it to the family gua, or live space, and you add a little green handkerchief around them. And then they they tend to communicate a little bit better when they have that green, that earth, that wood juxtaposition to earth. So it you have to really have that chart in front of you to understand yes. it. But it's it's 
It's used for amping up energy, the elements, and also okay. for bringing down some energy in the different areas that you want to experience with your animal. And these animals are amazing. They go to these areas to enjoy each element as they need it. They're natural chi masters. Oh, that's why they keep moving around the yes. house to different areas. Yeah. I see. And what does blue do? You didn't mention blue. Oh, blue is the color of skills and knowledge. And it doesn't have an element in there. So you can oh. you can do anything. So blue is when you come into your front door, blue, the skills and knowledge is directly towards your left in that corner. So if you want to puppy train or paper train an animal, that's the place to do it. Blue is also skills and knowledge. So, you know, all those blue ribbons that your animals get or you get, that is naturally attuned to complementing the skills and knowledges that people or animals have. So if you want to reward an animal, give it a blue, you know, kerchief or talk to it or teach in it in this skills and knowledge area. So this, this life path, Bagua, or the octagon that's used in feng shui and black hat is very important to know. And it's very easy. Anybody can do this. So it doesn't cost a lot of money. You just need to have a little bit of knowledge and away you go. Okay. The knowledge that's in your book, probably. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I found it very informative. It's an excellent book. It's well written. And some parts I had to go back and read again because, uh, you know, it's a concept I haven't heard of. But I thought, wow, this is really getting to the point. Yep. It truly is. So why is it that as human beings, I mean, we think of ourselves as so sophisticated, so advanced, yeah. you know, the, we're the most advanced ones on this planet, right, Paula? Right. And yet... Of course, that's in our mind. <laughs> that's in our mind. And yet it's the animals that really have a handle on this. And as human yep. beings, we have this block up, a lot of us, much of yep. the time, where we're just preventing ourselves from allowing this to be there, to, to see it, to feel it. Why do you think we do that as human beings? Oh, that there's no secret to that. Um, if you're a telepath, you know exactly why. Mm. Um, it's communicating from your mind instead of your heart. And once those little triggers come from your gut, we all are taught um, to bring it up to our mind, to analyze it, to focus on it and make it our own. And we make these patterns, and those are all in our mind and strategic element in our ego. And um, in Huna, it's called uh, Ku. So our Ku is our go-to place to feel safe. And so we feel safe mimicking others, and, and we don't feel so safe sometimes expressing our own heart's desires. And so that's why we get stuck. We're in our head instead of our heart. And animals don't process through the head. They process directly from the heart. And that's how they speak to everything and anything around them. And so once you start taking that heart and just projecting out from there and not letting it go to your mind, you can understand where people are coming from better. You can understand where you're coming from and where everything around you is coming from. And that's why we're all connected. We're connected through the heart space. We're not connected through the mind space. So that's where it comes from. That is very interesting. And, you know, I, I heard um, 
Dr. Wayne Dyer talk one time about how he could never hurt an animal no. and would never kill any being. And he talked about a wasp that was buzzing around when he was playing tennis and he was in a match and he, he killed it. And then he lost the match because he was just so yeah. upset about what he had done. Yep. And, and I thought, you know, I really identify with that. I yes. could not imagine killing an animal. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that there could be a situation where I would have to, potentially, yeah. but it certainly would not be my comfort zone. And, you know, I just feel that there's so much to learn from animals and there's so much, I don't know, just so much that we can we can connect with them. So yes. I'm fascinated with the way you've connected with animals and what you do. So tell me about someone you've helped who has reached out to you and they have maybe an issue with an animal and then you've come on board and you've helped them. Yeah, well, currently I'm helping a horse in Texas and the horse was uh, rounded up. They have large pasture horses. Um, They round them up and check off you know, healthy, not healthy. And then the not healthy ones, they send to auction and the auction is usually to be slaughtered. And this one animal was pregnant. This one mare was pregnant. She had her foal or she had her colt um, right before the auction. And her colt was stolen from her second day. And a, a person, my one of my clients goes in and buys these animals and rescues them and then brings Mm -hmm. them back to a a ranch and a farm. And so she rescued the mare. They weren't able to help with the baby, but the mare is very upset about having her baby stolen. And so at this point, I'm doing um, telepathic communications, telling her that she's in the safe place, she's going to live, and also working energetically on her chakra system to heal the hurt and the pain that she's been through because your chakras also reverse in flower essences for the emotional body. So this this horse is now healing. And as of last week, it's being able to be touched by human beings now. And it was not at all um, able to be approached by human beings because of all the things that had happened to it. Mm. So now it's being gentled. And it's going to be transferred into another rescue. And it's just wonderful to see the healing from a horse that was on death row to now. And now it's going to be used probably as a therapy horse once it gets into the next res- rescue situation. So it, it just is really a wonderful, wonderful story. So lots of healing. Beautiful, for sure. Mm-hmm. You experienced a near-death experience. Can yep. you share that with us? Oh, I found out my purpose by my heart stopping. And I was brought back to help other people find their heart purposes. I had an aneurysm going um, burst in the main artery to my uh-huh. stomach. And I'm one I'm 1% of 1.5% that survived this. You're not supposed to survive this. And Everything in the universe lined up for me to get help from the ambulance to an emergency hospital while I was traveling to um, doctors. And I was got my blood pressure back up. I lost all my blood. And I, they got my blood pressure back up because a famous doctor was nearby. He came in and it was just, it was, I call it the divine setup, right? And so I was on the operating table and I heard code blue 
and off I went. And I went down the tunnel, saw all my family. I'm the last survivor in my family and racing towards this wonderful golden light that, oh, it was just absolutely amazing and beautiful. And my father stepped out in front of me and he put his hand up and said, stop, you have to go back. I went, what? I was zipping along and he said, you have to go back. You have to find purpose. And then he smiled and I got slammed back into my body on the operating table, full of pain. I grabbed the doctor and said, what the blank did you bring me back for? And operated, found out, you know, what had happened. And then it took me 10 years to talk about this situation because of the timing. People are not ready to hear this type of thing. And I kept it quiet, but in the meantime, I was given all these people who have, who are, were ready to pass over or had mothers, fathers who suddenly died that I could comfort and tell them what that experience was like and what unconditional love that you received into. And so I took those 10 years to really discover all the invisibles that helped me out to understand this situation. And that's what launched my purpose-driven life. And how long ago did this happen? Oh, this was back in 80, 89. Okay. So it was a long time. And people back then were not ready to talk about soul and business. And I started talking about soul purposes in business. I was a brand expert and that was foreboding. Right. <laughs> now it's great. <laughs> so there was a backlash at the time. You had to kind of withdraw? Yes. Yeah. Very big time. So I kind of hid out in corporate life and then started doing my animal communications and a couple of other things in the meantime. That, that is very interesting. I want to ask you about flower essence, because this is something we haven't talked about on the show. Can you share some knowledge of that? Flower essences are really great. It was formulated or begun by Joseph Bach in Germany. And it's flower, the use of flower essences are very, very common in Europe. And now in North America, it's starting to hatch a little bit. Flower essences are um, literally water taken from the essence of, like if you've got a daisy. Um, mm -hmm. There's certain people that float that daisy in water, let the sun filter through it, and then collect the tincture. And these flower essences are... Um, the purpose of the plants to help heal the emotional body, which is kind of floating around the outside of you. And, and so by knowing what flower essences to prescribe for loneliness, for um, self-esteem, for lack of courage, for um, beauty, for acceptance, all these like poppies are here, are screaming out, here I am, here I am. And so it gives you more confidence. A lot of these flower essences in tincture form, they're, they're just water. They don't mix with any chemicals or chemical substrates of your body. They're a lot different than herbs. Mm -hmm. Herbs, you really have to be an old Chinese master to master. Okay. And, but the essences are for the emotional body. And these are given to hospice patients now very commonly, like Star of Bethlehem, Honeysuckle, are for um, physical and emotional loss and trauma. And then there's actually essences for mourning for people who are left behind, like barrage, bleeding heart, rosemary, things like that. So by reading the energetic call-outs from a body, from an emotional body, you can pretty much prescribe for people to change their patterns and to harmonize 
you can never get rid of the baggage, but you can harmonize it. And it works very well with animals that have been through trauma. That is interesting. And I want to ask you about aromatherapy. Is that something you believe in? Is that something you encourage? Yes, yes, I do. I'm not a, I'm not an expert at that, but yeah, it's it comes in handy when you're going through stressful situations like orange, mandarin orange is wonderful, and whatever your body wants, you'll like the smell of. That's the key there. That's your definite test. And yes, mm-hmm. I do like it. It calms and it brings peace to spaces, environments, and into business too. Yes, I like them. Ah, very good. Well, I want to ask you a question about bullying because I always do on my show and I want to know if you have a story either when you were a child or as an adult where mindfulness would have made a difference. Yes, I have many of them because I was such an odd child. (laughs) And so... I was never part of the in crowd, but I was always very interesting. So people would reach out to me and I was one of the smartest ones too. So people would copy from me. So that was my strength. But I'll tell you, in business, I was bullied a lot being the only female VP or creative director at the time in these large ad agencies. Mm -hmm. And I had to be escorted to enter the Algonquin Club in Boston by the chief of BBDNO and the vice president to get me into a meeting because I went in the front door alone and various men stood up, grabbed me and walked me out and told me I was nothing, that I shouldn't be there and verbally and physically shoved out of the room and then told to be go through the servant's entrance. And That's terrible. Point, yeah. And then I couldn't even go through there because I wasn't a man. And so I had to be escorted. And I'll tell you, that left some pretty indelible ideas about how women were treated and how I was treated. Mm -hmm. And it made me more resolve to be more outspoken about us as women being worthwhile. And literally, I mean, you're stripped of your worth when something like that happens. And it's the words and the physicalness And the words were very damaging. So I look at bullying as words and also the physical aspect of it, but mostly words. Yes. Well, it sounds like that must have been traumatic for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But it it gave me more resolve. I I didn't become a shrinking violet. (laughs) No, no. And that's good that you didn't because you've helped so many people. I want to ask you uh, five quick answer questions, Paula, as we move toward the end of the interview. Just 30 second answers are fine. The first one is this. Who is one person that has influenced your mindfulness? Oh, my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Boyd. Ah. He looked quite a bit like Paul Newman. Ooh la la. Yeah. And I had a crush on him. I was painfully shy. Mm-hmm. And I was always looking out for um, different things. I would clip the current events in the newspaper, page five. You know, there's a radar bucket, you know, on top of telephone poles. Meanwhile, everybody else was reporting on the tallest building in Seattle. And he kept mentioning, everybody would make fun of me. And he kept mentioning, well, you're special, Paula. You're special. You're, you're a beautiful artist. You're a beautiful person. And at the teacher conference, at the end, teacher parent conference at the end of the year, I thought, oh, busted. I'm going to, you know, I'm antisocial, all this stuff. And he came out 
and he invited me in with my mom and he showed me how to cut an apple differently. And that was through the horizontal axis of the apple instead of the vertical. Mm-hmm. And when he showed what was inside, there was a star. Uh-huh. And he says, Paula, you look for the extraordinary in the ordinary. And this is you. You have a special star inside. And he says, I love you so much for it. It still makes me cry. Oh, it's so, a beautiful Mr. story. Boyd. <laughs> Mr. Boyd. Yeah. Oh, we all need a Mr. Boyd. That is terrific. Yeah. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Paula? It's gotten me to be more grounded. And I'm always accused of being way out in the future. And with my Huna practices, it's brought me into the present moment. And it's allowed me to stay in the present moment and expect the best, trust myself, and be in the present moment. Mm. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Ah, Huna again. There's a thing called pico-pico breathing. And it, it's an awareness, attention awareness, up and down from the crown of your head to your navel. Okay. And whenever I get stressed out, I just revert to pico-pico breathing. And you don't have to breathe deep or anything, so it's a very invisible thing. So I can uh-huh. do it any time and any place. And it brings me back into the present moment. And it brings me calm. And yes, breathing is very important. Is that P-I-C-O? P-I-C-O. It's P-I-K-O, P-I-K-O. Pico means center in Hawaiian. Okay. It means navel. And so you, you, when you breathe in, you bring your awareness to the crown of your head, not your breath, but your awareness. And when you breathe out, you bring your awareness to the center of you or your navel. And you do that three times. And it's amazing. Your whole body relaxes. And when, you can, when you're relaxed, you're you. When you're tense, you're not. So Pico Pico brings you that relaxation. Well, thank you for telling us about Pico Pico, because I haven't heard anybody tell us about that on my show. So Yay, it's a first. That's, that's a first. <laughs> that's a first. Well, if you could recommend a book about mindfulness, and I know for Shui is a wonderful book that <laughs> has a lot of ideas about mindfulness in it, but do you have any other books you would recommend related to mindfulness, Paula? Oh, there's so many. Um, Off the top of my head, um, any of Michael Rhodes' book, Journey into Nature and Journey into Oneness. And also my favorite avatar is Dr. Seuss. And his last book is, Oh, the Places You'll Go. So that would be on my reading list for people because it's Uh visual and it's fun. And he's an avatar. Well, thank you for mentioning that. And I will put those uh, links into our show notes so that everybody can can enjoy them. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? My favorite app is a pencil. Okay, I like that app. <laughs> without an eraser. A pencil How about a pen? Eraser. What about yeah. a pen? Not a pen, just a pencil? A pen, I like the, I like the tooth of a pencil. Do I you? do. Uh, yeah, that's my favorite app because people have got to get back to feeling and touching a little bit more. And also I do have an app that I use on my iPad and my phone when I'm a very light sleeper. And there's a really good app called, let me see if I can call it. Um, it's... It's musical magic, and oh. I like it because it drowns out. It's kind of a beautiful Zen um, app for traveling for light sleepers. So, oh, so it drowns out other sounds, yeah. so that so it's yeah. like a continuous. You just, you sound. just 
you just plug it in until you go to sleep. So, <laughs> and it's called musical. What did you say it was see. called? Let me check that name for you. Okay, sure. It's, oh, I'm sorry. I have one musical. Um, it, I'm sorry. It's called Relax Melodies. It's oh. really easy. Relax Melodies, and I think it's got a 4.5 rating on in in the app store. Mm, what a great suggestion. Yeah. Relax melodies. Yeah. Isn't that mm, nice? That mm. is. I feel more relaxed just thinking about it. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Paula, well, it's been a lot of fun, and I I really feel relaxed talking to you as well, yeah. and I highly recommend your book, First Way. How can Mindful Tribe learn more about what you do? Okay. My main website is uh, com. And also my animal site is www.animalhearttalk.com, two Ts. So I have two different sites that played a different purpose in different mindfulness. And I will just mention Chi Lightful is C-H-I. We didn't really talk about Chi very much on, on our interview, but it's Chi Lightful, C-H-I, Lightful.com. Check it out. Paula is a treasure. She just like that star in the apple. She's such a true, true treasure. Thank you for being on the show. And I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much, Bruce. And I, I appreciate your mindfulness. And I love what you're doing, your message about, you know, bullying. It's, it's something that I think everybody goes through and everybody needs peace from. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I hope you enjoyed today's interview with Paula Brown. If you did, please subscribe and leave a comment on the bottom of the episode on my website. That's mindfulnessmode.com. I'll read your comment on an upcoming episode. Remember, subscribing and sharing helps to keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.